Welcome, and thank you for joining us as we listen to the lively messages of Brother Nick Manzi, a down-to-earth pastor who communicates God's truth in understandable and practical terms as you apply the Bible to your own life. I've been studying uh, about popular sayings that people think that are in the Bible, but in actuality, they're not. And we've already discussed a lot of these pseudo scriptures, including like God would help themselves or help those who help themselves or God won't put more on you than you can bear. And but today I want us to be able to focus on another saying. OK, and that saying is God moves in mysterious ways. Have you ever heard that said? God moves in mysterious ways. I don't mean to burst your bubble, but that, too, is not in the Bible. Okay, but I, I, I do pray that you've been finding it interesting as, as we've been looking at all these different sayings, trying to figure out where it really came from. I really try very hard to find the origin of these sayings, and they all are based on some of the things that are being said actually in the Bible, and we've been exploring that. We'll continue to do that tonight. But for the, our saying tonight, God works in mysterious ways, what I found, it actually comes from a hymn that William Cowper wrote in 1774. So even before we were a country, even before we declared our independence, William Cowper wrote this song in 1774. The first stanza of this song actually says, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. And it's a wonderful hymn. And I get, I, I, I'm going to let you on a little insight. If you looked in your bulletin, it's going to be our closing hymn tonight. In the meantime, this statement may be uttered as an expression of grace, you know, of, of praise rather, especially after God has done something so miraculous in somebody's life, maybe yours or somebody else, and it really can't be explained in human terms. We might say God works in mysterious ways. Or maybe it's just a, a, a shared as some hollow explanation when we have troubling circumstances that arise in our lives. And then we, you know, some people want to blame God for those things. Oh, well, God works in mysterious ways. You know, someone might even be able to use a statement as an excuse of not seeking to want to know God a little bit more intimately, to understand him even better than they do now. I mean, after all, he's so mysterious, we can't know God, can we? But is that really the truth? No. Let's look for the answer. Turn your, uh, turn your Bibles to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, we're going to look in verses 6 through 9. Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. Read God's word for yourself. Is, uh, if everybody's there, please say amen. amen. Verse 6, Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and we will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts 
than your thoughts. Let's pray. Lord, Father, I just want to once again come to your throne room full of wisdom and grace and mercy and love. And Father, as we bow upon your feet, Father, to, to find those amazing things that happen at your feet, Lord, we just ask that you first forgive us in Jesus' name so we could come to you with a clean heart. But we also ask that you rid our minds and our hearts of everything happening in our lives, good, bad, and different. So we don't see everything that's happening in our lives, but the only thing we see is you. We only want to hear your words. So Father, speak through me and let this be nothing of myself, but all of you. So as you fill us with the Holy Spirit, Lord, give us your wisdom and your direction. So as we learn from from your word today, we might be able to take it out into the world tomorrow and in the days to come, not for our sake, but so that your name is glorified in all we say and do. We love you and we thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So with this passage being our launching pad, with our, uh, being our launching pad, I want us to, to explore the lofty heights of the three important facets we can find about how God, who God is and how he relates to you and me. See, the first facet we learn about God, especially through this passage, is that God is mysterious, yes, but we can know him. We can know God. See, there was a movie, if you remember, in 1993, it was called Rudy. Anybody ever heard that movie before? Rudy was uh, uh, this high school player, uh, this, this kid that came out of high school. His dream was to go to Notre Dame and play football for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And he goes to the school and he's getting beat up in the practice team. But he was too, too small and scrawny to be able to get a scholarship from Notre Dame and be able to play on the team. So he was just being that practice dummy, so to speak. But he was he was had this dream and it kept becoming a dream and he's going through all his years in school and it's not being fulfilled. So he goes to see the, this wise Catholic uh, priest and his name was Father Kavanaugh and Father Kavanaugh probably said one of the best lines ever in a movie. And he said, son, in 35 years of my religious study, I have only come up with two hard inconvertible facts. Number one, there is a God. And number two, I'm not him. <laughs> I want to I add one more to that. I want to add a third fact about God. One, there, there is a God. Two, I'm not him. And three, you can know him personally. You can know God personally. See, Isaiah 55, it teaches us about the majesty about God. It teaches us about that mystery about God. Yeah, his thoughts are not our thoughts, absolutely. And his ways are not our ways. And honestly, I praise the Lord that it's not. Because if it was my ways, oh boy, we'd be in trouble. We would be in trouble. But the very fact that we can even talk about God like this is absolutely amazing to me. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Miracles. I strongly urge you to read that book if you ever get a chance. And in that book, it compares our human talk about God to shellfish talking to each other about humans. It sounds funny, but listen to this. It's, it really, it's really pretty cool. At least I think so. He says in a book that if a mystical shellfish catches a glimpse of what human life is like, well, he'll attempt to share his vision with his fellow clams. He begins by telling them how unlike themselves human are. Humans have no shells. Well, they, 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 they don't have any rocks that they cling to. They don't, have, they don't live in the water, surrounded by water all the time. See, those three dynamics, shells, rocks, and water, 
Well, they're important to clams. So the clam starts to begin to have this negative image about a human. So C.S. Lewis continues in his book and he says, uncorrected by any positive insight, they build up a picture of a man as sort of an amorphous jelly, meaning no shell, existing nowhere in particular. They're not attached to a rock. Never eating because there's no water bringing the nutrients to them. So the shellfish would conclude that man is a famished jelly existing in a dimensionless void. See, in the same way, our human limitations prevent us from thinking and talking correctly about our God. But the fact that God reveals himself to us in this Bible, to me, is just mind-boggling. That he's willing to give us all the information that we absolutely need, not want, need, to know who he is. And the Bible tells me that God is majestic. The Bible tells me that God is mysterious. But the Bible also says that if we want to, we can seek and know him. And in that passage that we read in Isaiah 55, it instructs us on when we are to seek God. But it also tells us how we are to seek God. See, it says that we are to seek him and while he may be, uh, seek him while he may be found. To call on him while he might be still near. See, this is implying that there's going to be a time that he won't be found. That he won't be near. And don't think of it as God's playing some sort of, you know, cosmic hide and, hide and seek with us, okay? That's not the way we need to think because you, you, we know that God wants to have a love relationship with each and every one of us. But right now in our lives, he can be found. Why? Because we're living here on earth. But if we wait until we die to seek God, we're not going to be able to find him. Not the way that he wants us to find him. By then it's too late. That's why we need to seek him today, not just for salvation, because salvation is just the first part. We have a whole life to live after salvation. We need to be able to seek him today and start to get on that personal level with God right now. Because after we die, well, not one person in this room is going to have a second chance to seek and find God. The secret of how we can know God is found in Isaiah 55, 7. Look at that verse. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. John Wesley, I, I love that man. He, you know, he, even though he was a Methodist and we're Baptists, that doesn't mean we didn't believe in the same God. Uh, and John Wesley wrote uh, two, over 200 sermons on this one verse alone. 200 sermons on one verse. Now, I don't know. I, I, I would hope that I can encourage you enough to preach 200 times on the same verse. But he is definitely that man that can do that. And what he says that is anyone can seek God. Any one of us in this world, we are able to seek God. But in order to find God, a person must be willing to, to turn from their sins and be, start turning to the Lord. If you're a sinner, raise your hand. All right. So what that means is even today as we sin, we still have an opportunity to turn for our sin and then walk towards the Lord. 
That's not just for salvation, people. That's so much more than just salvation. So a question I have for you and for me is, do you really know God? Do you really know God? Let me put it a different way. If someone were to ask you if you really know Nick Manzi today, most of you here today could probably say, yeah, I spend a lot of time with him. I know Nick Manzi. But those that listen to our, our sermons on podcasts, maybe they're in town, maybe they're not in town, and they listen only on podcasts, well, they, they hear me every week, and they'll probably say, if they were asked that same question, yeah, I know him, I listen to him every week on Spotify. But see, just hearing me is not the same thing as knowing me. It's not the same thing as knowing me. The only way that someone is going to be able to get to know me is by spending time with me. The same is true with knowing God. The same is true with knowing God. You may know about God, and you may know, even know about what the Bible says. You may be uh, able to teach me some things that the Bible actually says. You know it so well. But that's not the same as knowing God. The only way you and I will get to know God is by spending quality time with him. And we do that through prayer and we do that through Bible study. That's how we get to know God. And we must do that. If you remember last week, I mentioned a a woman named Johnny Erickson, and uh, she started a huge Christian ministry for disabled folks. And well before that, that ministry started, way back in 1967, she was a little girl, and she was riding her horse down the Chesapeake Bay, and she decided to go for a a swim one day, and she dove into the water, not knowing it was shallow, and she broke her neck while she was... Uh, when she jumped down into the water because of a submerged rock. Well, first, Johnny had a hard time reconciling her accident with the idea of this loving God. Why would God do this to me? If he's a loving God, why am I paralyzed at this point? Why are you doing this to me, God? She was angry. She was demanding to know why this is happening to her. But then one day a friend told her, Did you know Jesus was paralyzed as well? He was, because he couldn't move or change his position when he was on the cross. He was paralyzed by the nails. See, right then is when Johnny began to understand that God is a God of love. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. God is a God of love, but he's a God of love, period. Not when. He's a God of love, period. So that means that even when tragedy strikes in your life, even when the the walls are caving in, God is still a God of love. And today, God is still using Johnny Erickson to be able to touch others in the disabled community. One time she received a letter from somebody, and it was an angry young man who'd been into an accident. And he was angry that God let him go through the accident. He was bitter at him for allowing him to have to suffer like that. And so he, he wrote Johnny and, and in the letter had that big question. Why? Why? Well, 
she started to be able to give some of her testimony and she related uh, to him some of her own feelings of bitterness and questioning. And Johnny wrote this. If God decided to explain all his ways to me, what makes me think I'd be able to understand them? It would be like pouring a million gallons of truth into my one ounce brain. She keeps going and says, didn't one of the Old Testament authors write in Ecclesiastes 11.5? As you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. So you do not know the works of God who makes everything. She continues, in fact, the whole book of Ecclesiastes was written to convince people like me that only God holds the keys to to unlocking the mysteries of life and that he's not loaning them all out. If God's mind was small enough for me to understand, well, he wouldn't be God. Yet in spite of this, God has chosen to have a personal relationship with me. And that's the greatest mystery of all. See, isn't that a great mystery to understand? I mean, why would God want to have a relationship with me? After all the bad things I've done in my life, or after all the times I turned my back on God, whether it was for salvation or his lordship in my life, I turned my back on my God and he still comes out for after me and starts seeking me. And all I need to do is turn away from my sin and start walking towards him. That is so mysterious to me why he would do that. But even though he's mysterious, we can still know God. But having said that, number two, the second thing we learn in this is God is so great that we'll never fully understand him. God is so great that we will never fully understand him. So yeah, while we still can know God, he's so majestic that our finite human brains uh, can never fully comprehend everything there is to know about God. We just cannot figure all that out. We cannot understand his ways. Now you may wonder if it's even possible to, to know someone without even truly understanding them. Well, I don't know everything about my wife. But I know her and I love her. And that's what makes marriage exciting, doesn't it? It's a never ending quest to be able to get to know each other better throughout our lives. And if you ever heard someone say to their spouse, I've got you figured out, well, you probably know they're a little bit confused. But in the same way, if you've ever heard someone say, I've got God figured out you know they're sadly mistaken. We should be enamored by the wisdom and knowledge of God. Every day, we should be just in awe of his wisdom. The apostle Paul was so overwhelmed by the greatness and majesty of God that he breaks out with these words in, uh, in Romans chapter 11, verse 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Amen. 
Have you ever heard someone say, I just don't understand how a loving God could ever send someone to hell? When we hear that, our temptation is to try to be able to defend God at that, at that particular point. And we try to explain sin and free will and all that. But let me give you a different answer that maybe you can try. When somebody asks you the question, I just don't understand how a loving God could ever send someone to hell. Respond back and say, I don't understand how a holy God can ever let sinners into heaven. Because that's what we are. See, this passage says God's judgments are unsearchable. His paths are beyond tracing out. And I love those prepositions that we find in that last verse of that passage we just read. Romans eleven thirty six. Let me read it one more time. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Do you see all those prepositions? For of him. In other words, from him. That's the first thing that we get. God is the source of everything, praise the Lord, because it's from him. And then it goes on, for of him and through him. That means that's the core, he is the course of our life. So everything goes through him. He's our course in everything that we do. For of him and through him and to him, which means he is the force of life. See, God is the source. He's the course and he's the force. God's greatness is mind-boggling. Let's take something that we can relate to maybe on this world. Look to the stars and the planets, for example. Psalmist write in Psalm chapter 8, verse 3 and 4, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, which is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him. See, that is what's so wonderful. The same God who created all the planets, he, the same God who created all the stars, he's interested in you. He's interested in you. Let me give you a deeper illustration of what I mean there to de- demonstrate God's greatness. Let's consider our own solar system. The sun is huge. Would you agree with that? Sun is huge. Let me give you an idea how huge it is. Rounding up the number, 865,000 miles in diameter. Think about that. 865,000 miles in diameter. But how does that really compare? I mean, we, we can't really comprehend that, can we? Well, if we were able to reduce the sun until it was about the size of a basketball. Basketball is about nine inches. And then we start to notice the other size and location of all the other planets in our, in, in our system. Mercury, the first planet, would be the size of a dot that's made by a pen. And it's about 15 paces, 15 steps away from the sun, from the basketball. Venus, next planet, would be about the size of a BB pellet. You know, for BB guns, it would be the size of a BB pellet. And it would be 15 paces further away from Mercury. Earth, third rock from the sun, would be 11 more steps away. And it would, be a, it would appear to be, instead of a little mini BB, a regular size BB. Now, by, my, by the way, a BB is smaller than a P. And then we have an asteroid field, and then we get to Mars. 
and I'll be uh, an even smaller BB than the rest of them, and it'll be 20 more paces away, away from earth. And then you have to walk 100 more steps to be able to get to our largest planet, which is Jupiter. And compared to the basketball, the sun, it would be the size of a golf ball. Saturn, take another 224 more steps. And that's our second largest planet. And it would be about the size of a marble. And Uranus, take another 302 steps, the size of a cherry. Keep walking, because Neptune comes next. And that would finally be the size of a pea. 302 further steps away. And we haven't even gotten to Pluto. And whether you believe Pluto's a planet or not, I don't know. If it is anymore or it is, who knows? But from the basketball, the sun, to Pluto would be an almost a mile in our steps, scaling it down. That's why they call it space, because it blows our minds. Isaiah 40, 40, verse 12, we are told that God has measured the heavens with the span of his hand. God has measured the heavens, the span of his hand. And we just talked only about our solar system. Think about that. We can't even make a mile. We, we would have to walk a mile to make sense of how large our solar system is. Does anyone know the name of the, the, the star that's closest to the earth? It's the sun. It's the sun. But the next nearest star is the Alpha Centauri system. And it's comprised of three different stars. And if we traveled at the speed of light, it would take us four and a half years to leave here on earth to get there. At the speed of light. That's how far away it is. And scientists, they go on and tell us that there are over 300 billion stars in our own galaxy, in the Milky Way. And then they say there's millions and millions of other galaxies comprised of billions of stars and possibly trillions of planets out there. Why am I telling you this? Because God says, I measured the heavens with my, the span of my hand. I measured the heavens with the span of my hand. You know, there's a contemporary song that I love to sing. God of wonders beyond our galaxy, you are holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty. You are holy, holy. If our planet is only a BB compared to a basketball, and there are billions of other basketballs out there, what does that make you and me? We're not even a microscopic speck of dust, are we? But yet God, who created this universe, who can measure all that in the span of his hand, still wants a relationship with each one of you that's sitting here and each one of the people that are outside these walls. That's how amazing God is. I got glory bumps coming in. Visitors, I don't get goosebumps, I get glory bumps. He says that he knows every number of hairs you have on your head. Every number of hairs you have on your head. And we're nothing compared to the universe that fits in the span of his hand. And he knows you that well. 
So we need to remember that God is mysterious, but yet we can still know him. But we need to know that we'll never fully understand. We'll never fully comprehend everything about God. But we cannot let that stand away in the way of letting us have a personal relationship with God. Because God has revealed his greatest mystery to us. God has revealed his greatest mystery to us. That's our third point. I don't know about you. Some people like good mysteries. You know, sometimes I do. Uh, I'm not really much of a mystery reader because I don't read many fiction books. But uh, I know my wife loves mysteries. But I love watching mystery TV shows. You know, there's a TV show called Unsolved Mysteries on TV. And I love watching. It was hosted by Robert Shack. And the website said that over 300 real-life cases were solved by people helping, uh, helping out by watching the show. See, many people kind of think God is the same way. They think that his ways are so mysterious that only certain people have the insight to the path of who he is. And I can tell you as a pastor, I get people so many times saying, can you pray for me? You have the inside track. Not any more than you do. <laughs> Not any more than you do. They might think that his ways are so mysterious that they're well beyond their understanding. Well, maybe the phrase God works in mysterious ways was coined because in the Bible, God often did the unexpected. For instance, instead of using Moses while he was in his prime at 40 years old, he waits till he's 80. That's working in a mysterious way, isn't it? Instead of letting Gideon keep his army of 32,000, he whittles, it tells him to whittle it down until he got down to 300. If that's not mysterious, I don't know what is. See, God seldom acts or moves in the way that you and I think he should. So instead of, I mean, oh gosh, we go on forever with these things. You know, the king of the Jews comes down and this king that's supposed to be king everybody thought was going to be born in a great palace and he's born in a feeding trough. And instead of having the Messiah, the person I was going to deliver to Israelites to be, have this golden throne to sit on, the, the Messiah instead has a cross to be nailed upon. Unexpected? Yeah, absolutely. God specializes in the unexpected. You know, in the New Testament, that word mystery uh, has nothing to do with some who did it story. Our English word uh, comes from a Greek word called mysterion. And it's a word meaning that which is beyond the range of natural understanding. Now, while much of what God does qualifies as mysterious, the Bible does teach us that God has chosen to reveal his greatest mystery to you and me. In Colossians 1.26, Colossians 1.26 and 27, Paul says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Are you a saint? Say amen. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, how are you relating to Jesus right now? How are you relating to him right now? 
Last week, remember, we talked about the Sears Roblox catalog, the good, the better, the best. I'm going to do that again for you tonight. There's a good way, there's a better way, and there's the best way to have hope. So do you have a sense that Christ is for you? If you do, that's a good way. That is a good way, because he is. Do you have a sense that Jesus is with you? That's even better. That's wonderful. Well, but do you understand what it means for Christ to be in you? That's the best way. That's the best way. Years ago, I was uh, helping out Campus Crusade. I don't know if you guys know what Campus Crusade is, but it's a a ministry that deals uh, with the college students in college campuses. And they have, uh, you know, church services and, uh, you know, uh, some, you know, small groups and such in the church campuses. So that way they can be a Christian influence amongst the secular world in those campuses. And I was given a little blue tract and it was titled, um, I don't remember. Oh, have you made, have you made the wonderful discovery of the spirit filled life? Have you made the wonderful discovery of the Spirit-filled life? And the first time, after finally reading that passage, I started to begin to understand that the Christian life did not revolve around me. It didn't consist of, of things that I was doing for Jesus. Like that old hymn says, you know, I was trying to give, my, give of my best to the Master and I was finding that it was not good enough. Instead, I discovered that it was much better to simply allow Jesus to live his normal life in and through me. It was easier, simpler, and it was so much better. Because Jesus in me could love the people that I couldn't love even at my best. Jesus in me was able to forgive people that I can never forgive, even when I'm at my best. In other words, I learned that there was such a tremendous difference between my best and Jesus' normal. And nothing can compare to that. Let me put it a different way. It's like putting a tea bag uh, in, in a cup of hot water. Now imagine I have a cup of hot water in this hand and I'm holding it and that represents me. Okay? And the tea bag is in this hand and represents Jesus' life. Well, the water is not the tea, is it? Nor is the tea the water. They're separated. Right? But the, this bag of tea is for the water. It's for the water. But that doesn't really change the fact that this is still water. Now I put the bag with the water, but this is still water. But when the tea bag is placed in the water, that's when the changes start to happen. Something happens in that, in that water, doesn't it? And if that water represents my life, that's when something really ha- starts to happen in my life, when Jesus is in my life. See, because the tea in the water, the tea is in the water, and the water's in the tea, and that's just like us being in Christ and Christ in me. So, but the tea, the tea's changed the nature of the water right there, didn't it? I can no longer say it's just water. 
I mean, it would be pretty silly if I handed you a cup of tea and just said, hey, here's some flavored colored water. So when you and I start to understand what it means to be indwelt by Christ, the emphasis is no longer on the me. It's no longer on the I. But it's focused on Christ in me. If you remember, Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is, it is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Isn't that a tremendous resource to be able to tap into? It's it's something that we are able to put our hands on and receive. It's ours each and every day of our lives. But in order to be able to receive it, just like that tea bag has to be placed in the water, we have to surrender and allow Jesus to live in our water, in our lives. He has to be able to live in us. He has to be able to live through us. Now, I recently read a about a story, a, a, a story about a couple who was on their honeymoon. And on uh, the, uh, the first night of their honeymoon, the groom, well, he reserved a bridal suite in the honeymoon uh, level or whatever, a honeymoon suite of an expensive hotel. And well, their reception ran a little bit late. So they got into the hotel well after midnight, but they were still able to get their keys and go into the bridal suite. So they go into that bridal suite and well, they were kind of surprised to see what they found because all they saw was some sofas and chairs and tables, but there was no bed in the room. So they were looking around and looking around and they discovered that the sofa was one of those sofa beds. So they pulled it out, found some sheets in the closet, made the bed, and they laid on this lumpy mattress on their honeymoon night. Well, they were too tired to be able to go downstairs and protest about their room or even ask for another room. So they just, they just dealt with the disappointment that they had right then and there. Well, the next morning, as they were packing to check out, the husband marches down to the lobby and starts to speak to the manager and accosts him with his complaints. And the manager quietly listened to all of his complaints. And when he was done, the manager asked him nice and calmly, did you happen to open the door in the room? And the groom, well, he went, runs back up to the room and he looks for this door that the, the manager said and was right in front of him. And so he opens the door, which he thought was a closet door. And when he opened it up, he found a beautiful bed with a basket of fruit laying on top and some chocolates for them for their honeymoon. See, the management provided everything they need to be able to please them so they can have a wonderful beginning of their marriage. Problem was, they just didn't take full advantage of what was available to them. Well, I can imagine that they felt rather foolish after finding that out. But I also wonder how many believers are going to enter into heaven only to be able to discover that there was a multitude of blessings and awesome amounts of spiritual power that God had made available to them, to made available to you, to me, But they just never walk through the door into that spirit-filled life. Do you remember our friend William Cowper? He wrote the song, God Works in Mysterious Ways. Maybe you're interested in the rest of the story. Cowper was born into a pastor's home. And he was trained to be a lawyer. 
Well, from an early age, he struggled with lots of bouts of depression and anxiety. And at the age of 28, he even had an opportunity to be hired as an accountant for the house of the Lord's. But when he stood before them and received their questions, he froze while he couldn't answer any of them. So he sank so far deep into depression that he made his first of three attempts to commit suicide. He was admitted to St. Albert's insane asylum. And although he he knew God, he knew about God, Cowper was deathly afraid that he was forever lost and he was destined for hell. When he was in an asylum, he started to begin to read his Bible and he started to get a greater understanding about God's nature. And he started writing poetry. Well, Cowper never married, so he was so lonely every evening and even sometimes depressed on other evenings. So one evening, he decided to throw himself into the Thames River just to be able to drown. So he called for a cab and he directed the horseman to be able to go to a specific dock at the river. And on the way to the dock, all of a sudden, this dense fog descended on London until the driver could only see a few feet in front of the coach. Well, after wandering around aimlessly for hours, Cowper finally asked the driver to stop and let him out and that he'll find it on his own. Well, the coach stopped, pulled over, and Cowper exited. And he was surprised to find out that when he was able to walk through the fog, he was at the door of his house. Cowper concluded that God had a hand in that fog. And so he never attempted suicide again. Not long after that foggy evening, he penned the words, God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. And although he struggled for his 69 years, God used William Cowper to write some powerful lyrics for us. Not just that song that I just read, but there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath its flow lose all their guilty stains. Another verse from that wonderful hymn became the theme of Cowper's life. Ever since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Yes, God moves in mysterious ways. But Christ in you is his greatest mystery. And he delights to be able to reveal that truth to you today. But only after you understand the mystery of Christ in you will you be able to enjoy life to its fullest.
Nick Manzi is Senior Pastor of Central Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. If you want more information about the church, or if you're ready to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, contact Brother Nick at PastorNickCentralBaptistPSL at gmail.com. God bless you as you go about the rest of your day, and thank you for listening and sharing our podcast. <music>